Good to see everybody. Beautiful day, beautiful day. We are in a series, um, Understanding the Real Jesus. And, and today, um, I'm, I'm excited about today. I'm excited about the, about the word today for this reason, for this reason. Some of you just say, yeah, I'm excited for God's word. Okay, I just want to make sure you guys are with me. It's beautiful outside. We should be excited. It's warm. It's warmer out. We should be excited. Um, I, what I want to do today is um, we're going to look at um, the first verse I ever memorized as a Christian. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at John chapter 3. And for those of you who have been frustrated by church, or maybe for some of you who have been confused about what it means to be a Christian or what it means to be a follower of Christ or to be part of God's kingdom, my prayer for you this morning is that this conversation that Jesus had with this very religious man, Jesus shows him and teaches him exactly what it means to be in God's family. And my prayer for you today, that this would relieve a lot of you, that this would clear up some confusion, that this would help you to realize that your salvation is not based in your works or you striving to be religious enough that you be having been accepted into God's kingdom has nothing to do with your past or the wrong decisions that you've made or being from a dysfunctional family, which we all are. We all have some type of dysfunction, right? None of that matters. It doesn't matter whether you were raised in church or you were raised in a religious family, non-religious family, whatever it is. What Jesus does here in this conversation with this man is he clears up for us what it means to be in God's family. And my prayer for you is that that would relieve you, that would give you peace, and that would help you to pursue Christ in the right way. I think the reason why many people who pursue God pursue him in the wrong way. We've got to get this right. Because I think many times we try to pursue God in our righteousness. We try to pursue God in our good works. And so sometimes that works out well. And how do you know sometimes that don't work out so well. And so it can get easy, it can get frustrating where we just want to give up. And then when times come in our lives where doubt comes in our life or maybe we doubt our faith or maybe there's a question we don't, we don't know the answer to or we get frustrated or life just throws us a curveball and something out of the blue hits us that just kind of rocks us at our core. Listen, listen, listen. When you know that you are part of God's family, and that God's spirit dwells within you, everything changes. So it doesn't matter what you may go through or how life may throw you a curveball or what suffering you may go through. When you know that the spirit of God is within you and you know that you are in God's kingdom, you know that God will never leave you or forsake you, that his love will always be there for you. When you're alone, when you feel like no one's there for you, you know that God is going to be there for you. You know that Christ is always there for you. I want you today, when you walk out of this room, to know the assurance of your salvation, to have a confidence to know that indeed you are a child of God. And Jesus gives us specific instructions on what this means. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and it just it broke my heart. I was listening to a podcast of a former Christian singer who's just kind of walked away from their faith or just kind of just doubted their faith and now is just kind of 
rethought their faith and everything and and believes in Jesus but but believes there's many ways to to God now it doesn't matter what road you take or what thread you follow doesn't matter what you believe eventually it would all lead lead to God and and as I was listening to that my heart broke because when I was listening to her heart you could just tell that there were things that happened in her life that she couldn't explain or some suffering that she went through some doubts that 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 no one really explained to to her or allow her to to to, to, to walk through. And so instead of seeking God and knowing that the word of God has the answers for us, there's going to be some tensions in the word of God. Instead of doing that, it was easier just to kind of walk away and just kind of refigure everything out and then create your own belief system. The thing I want you to understand about Jesus, Jesus in this dialogue that he has with this man, he shows him that it's not this religious system that causes you to be a child of God. It's not following these moral, all these moral codes that causes you to be part of the family of God. God is the only one that can draw you into his kingdom. God is the only one that can do the change in your heart. And what burdened me about this conversation, I listened to yesterday, this podcast, was that um, this woman was so insecure about who she was in Jesus at this point because she just started believing everything. And and I was like, I wish I could have just found out what her phone number is and just called and said, listen, let, let me share some things with you and you know, give you some hope in God's word that we all have challenging times in our lives and there are always times that we have doubts and there, there are things that are, are hard to explain at times. But I believe the reason why Jesus has this conversation with this man is because he didn't want him to rely and have his confidence in his religion. He wanted to have his confidence in Jesus. And this is just a wonderful story, and I hope it encourages you today. And this conversation that Jesus has with this man, Nicodemus, he says, Nicodemus, listen, if you're going to be part of God's family and you're going to be part of the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. And what does that mean? What I remember when I first came into the kingdom of God and, and became a follower of Jesus when I was 16, the church I went to really spoke the gospel about what it meant to be born again. I was raised in church, but I didn't hear that message. I didn't hear that message of born again, so it was kind of different for me. I'm like, okay, what, what do I got to do here? I'm, I'm a good person, right? Is that all? Is I go to church. Is that all there is? And they said, no, that's not all there is. So it kind of challenged my faith, like, what is this born again thing? And as I began to hear the word of God and teaching about Jesus has to do the change from within, that it's putting our faith and our trust in Christ Jesus and him alone, that God indwells his Holy Spirit within us and then everything changes. The change must come from within. It can't come from without. I was trying to pursue God by just saying, I'm a moral person according to my standard of what being moral was. Right? And and I think we've I think when you try to have a religious pursuit on your own strength, we're gonna do it our way and we're gonna think we're moral in our own eyes until you compare yourself to somebody who's a lot more moral than you are, and then you don't look so good. But we don't want to compare ourselves to those people. We want to compare ourselves to people who aren't as moral, and then it makes us feel more moral, and all of a sudden Jesus comes and he completely tips that philosophy over. And so this is the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, who's really a good guy. I mean, he, he's upstanding, and Jesus is going to, he's not, Jesus isn't going to give in to that. Jesus isn't going to say, well, that's all that there is, Nicodemus, for you. As long as you're good and you're religious, then just say a quick prayer with me, and you're good. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus shows Nicodemus the reality of what it truly means to be part of, 
of the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to be born again? Is born again just another sect of Christianity? <laughs> right? Is being born again uh, the way I vote? Is being born again just being more moral? Is, what, what does that mean? Because I think when we think of born again, a born-again Christian, all kind of things can conjure up in our minds, right? Uh, maybe they're the more emotional people, right? Maybe they're the people that lift their hands in worship. Maybe they're the crazy church on Ridge Road in Ontario. Those are the, the born-agains, right? Is it just that, you know, is it... And that's, and that's where I, I want to decipher because Jesus calls this... He says, unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. So I want to decide, decide between it being some type of Christianity or type of denomination. That's not what Jesus calls it. Jesus says there has to be a change from within. So I want to look at, I want to look at um, uh, John chapter 3, and I want to look at verses 1 through 8, and let's look at this conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, who was a religious man who came to Jesus one night, and, G, and, and Nicodemus was very impressed with, with Jesus, as we're going to see in the scripture. And he knows how well Jesus taught and concluded that Jesus must be from God. Now, what, what's interesting about this conversation is how Jesus addresses the compliment that Nicodemus pays to Jesus. So, so let's look at this. Let's look at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee, and after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus, and he says, Rabbi, calling him teacher, a sign of respect. He said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evident that God is with you. Woo, he's paying Jesus some high props, high praise right here, and you would think that Jesus would turn around at this moment and say, hey, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. He doesn't. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus turns around and he says, well, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. That's kind of a weird, when you think about that, it's kind of a weird response to somebody just paying you a compliment. Jesus doesn't give in the compliment and he looks at Nicodemus because he cares about Nicodemus and he wants Nicodemus to know the truth. And the truth is, your religion cannot save you. The truth to Nicodemus was just because you're a Pharisee, you're a religious leader, doesn't mean that you're part of the kingdom of God. Just because you go to church maybe twice a year, you know, on Easter, you know, the Christers, Christmas and Easter, or maybe you grew up in church, or maybe, you know, whatever, or maybe you never went to church, whatever it is, those things do not cause you to become born again. So Jesus, loving Nicodemus, wanted him to know the truth. And so Nicodemus responds like, what do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And listen to what Jesus says, and we're going to dive into this today because we've got to get this right. Jesus replies, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of, of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Amen to God's word. So let's dig into this. Right away, you can see Jesus is telling Nicodemus, listen, you have to be born again in order to be part of the kingdom of God. So when you say someone is born again, you know, once again, it can conjure up all kind of, all kind of 
different scenarios in people's mind. When I was in high school, and I first became a Christian at the age of 16, uh, someone found out that I was a born-again Christian. It was one of the most popular girls in the high school at that time. And she came up to me in my locker and just said, hey, I heard that you were born again, like you're a born-again Christian. What does that mean? And I'm like, uh, 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 you know, I was like, uh, first of all, I, I couldn't believe that this girl was at my locker to begin with, right? And I'm like, now she's asking about my faith and her that I'm, 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 I'm born again and, and just was interested in this whole born again thing. So I did the, I don't even know what I said. I, hopefully it made sense. Hopefully she didn't walk away going, that guy is weird and I don't want anything. You know, hopefully I made some sense there. But it's interesting. We, we make the mistake by taking the word born again and associate it with a certain type of Christian or a certain type of person. We make it a label. That's not what Jesus is doing here. He's not making this a label. He's not making this a denomination. Making it seem like born again is just another denomination. Some would think that maybe being born again are more emotional, maybe more conservative people. This is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus' words, listen closely, Jesus' words to Nicodemus shows us that being born again is not another denomination or a type of person or the weird church once again on Ridge Road in Ontario. That's not what it is. Somebody once said that to me. She said, yeah, you're that church like down Ridge Road, a little ways down, outside of town, because that's where all the weird churches end up going, like outside of town. That, but then she said, the born again church. I'm like, all right, whatever, whatever. Yeah, we're, we're weird. We love it, but we're weird. So, um, but, but, but who was, let's look at the person of Nicodemus, because this is important. So Nicodemus, um, Jesus says, Look, you may have all this status in your life, but you still need to be born again. So Nicodemus was religious. He was wealthy. He was a leader in the community. He was actually part of the governing body called the Sanhedrin, who basically the Sanhedrin were the Supreme Court of ancient Israel. It was made up of 71 men, including the high priest. So, so Nicode- Nicodemus is the guy. I mean, he, he has a lot of status. He has a lot of clout. So on the outside, Nicodemus had it all together. And he wasn't desperate. He, he didn't need moral structure to his life. People looked up to him. He lived a, a religious life. He was a leader who was well respected. But what's interesting about Jesus here is he doesn't compliment, doesn't tell him how moral and good he is. Jesus tells him that the only way to God's kingdom is a change from within. Nicodemus, you've got to change from within. I, I get none of these things you do are necessarily wrong within themselves. But unless you have this change from within, you can't see the kingdom of, of God. This, this was my biggest hang-up as a teenager hearing the gospel message. Because I kept hearing this change from within, change from within. And my hang-up was my morality. I thought that I was a pretty moral person. So when I would hear people give testimonies of their life and how Christ has changed them, maybe from addictions or wrong choices they made, I was like, man, good for them. I wasn't, you know, against that. I was like, good for them. They, they need God. They need a moral compass. They need Jesus. They need to be born again. But I'm okay. I'm doing all right in, my, in myself. I don't have all these huge hang-ups. Boy, was I wrong. And the more and more I heard God's word and message, the more and more I realized that I was just as much a sinner as anyone else, that I was far away from God as anyone else. And hearing the word of God spoke to me and it softened my heart. And this is what Jesus is speaking 
to Nicodemus. It's this, it has to be this change from within. So I would, I would sit in church and I would hear these testimonies. My parents eventually switched church and started going to church that really spoke and preached the gospel message and, and, and spoke about a born-again relationship uh, with Jesus. And, and, and the people that went to the church actually wanted to be there. Like, you know, it's the church where everybody hangs out after. And I was like, how come no one's sh- just like making a beeline to their cars all the time? Like that, people actually liked it. People actually wanted to be there. And the biggest thing for me is people actually brought their Bibles to church. I'm like, people, are, what is going on here? This is, these people are really into this stuff, right? It was a great witness to me because there was this change from within. I saw a love in people. I saw people care for one another. Not that the church is perfect, not that we don't make mistakes, but I witnessed something completely different because there was this change from within. And so here, here's the message. No matter how much you think you have it together, Jesus says you must be born again, you need a new spirit. And then the opposite is true also. No matter how broken you think you are or how messed up you may feel, you may feel uh, the, the answer to you is Jesus says you also can be born again. There's nothing that keeps you from me. And that is such good news. So we are not born again. Jesus is trying to teach to to Nicodemus. We're not born again by trying harder or becoming a better person or becoming more religious. That's me trying to do it. That's me trying to gain access to God. And so what Jesus does here is he eliminates any effort on our part. A born-again life doesn't come through religion. It doesn't come through a sacrament. It doesn't come through a ceremony. All those things are not necessarily wrong within themselves. But when I try to attach my salvation or being born again or being changed to an event, to, oh, I I was baptized as a baby or I went through this certain religious ceremony. When I attach it to that, then I put my confidence in the thing that I did. Not that that thing is wrong within itself. But water baptism doesn't save you. It's symbolic of what God has already done in you. So many people say, well, I go to church. No, that's, it's good. I'm glad you come to church, right? right that, that's, that's fine. It was interesting. We, um, we, 1996, I took my, when I was a youth pastor, I took them to the 1996 Olympic Games to Atlanta to witness to people. So I, we did months of training with the kids, how to change, uh, share their faith. So we'd go out in the streets. We'd go into different venues where people were hanging out. And, we, and the, the kids would share their faith. And at night, we come back together and we kind of debrief. And I'd say, how did everything go? And I'd say, man, some people are really mean. Some people just say, get away from me. You know, I was like, this is good. All right, man, get persecuted for your faith. Let's do it. Let's go out again. And um, so they're, they're like, this, this isn't easy. I said, well, that, that's okay. That's okay. But the one thing that we found out was when we had a questionnaire that we asked people. And, and it was funny. When you started talking about the Bible and talking about Jesus, so many people would just go, well, I'm Baptist or I'm Episcopalian. Or I'm, I'm Presbyterian. And, and it was like that connection of being born again to Jesus, it was, they were more attached, many people were more attached to their denomination. That was their identity than who they were in Christ. And this is what Jesus is trying to say to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, your identity is not being in the Sanhedrin. Your, your identity is not a Pharisee. Not that anything was wrong within those things themselves, but he was saying unless you are born again, that's your new identity. And for me as a 16-year-old, my identity changed. 
There was this inward change in my life. Not that life isn't easy or we still don't make mistakes, but there was this inward change when God placed his spirit within me that I knew that God did a deeper work in my heart that didn't come from myself, but it came from God and God alone. That's what he was trying to show to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, don't put your identity in what you do for me. Put your identity in me. I'm the only one that can change you. That is such good news that we need to hear today. We are so confused in our identity and who we are. And we're telling people, no, you're this, no, you're that, blah, blah, blah. And, and there's such a frustration. And it's, it's, I, I see it as just an identity crisis. Identity crisis in our marriage and who we are individually, who we are as a person. And so what Jesus says to Nicodemus, listen, let me be your identity because I change everything. And I want that for you. I want you to hear that message that this identity has to come from Jesus and him alone. And so what Jesus does is he eliminates any effort on our part. So a born-again life doesn't come through religion. It doesn't come through a sacrament. But what Jesus is saying, he says, to be born again, it literally means to come from above. So to be born again literally means to be born from above. So if you don't like the word born again because it has too many bad connotations or whatever or attached with certain people that do dumb things for Jesus or whatever, then let's, let's just say Jesus says you must be born from above. You absolutely have to be born from above. Now these are strong words from Jesus. He tells Nicodemus that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born from above. So on the outside, here's what's interesting. On the outside, Nicodemus is at the top of the spiritual hill. Right? On the outside, he's on the top of the spiritual hill. He has it all, and you would think Jesus would just say to him, hey, Nicodemus, you're a good person. You know God's word. Uh, just say this prayer with me, and you'll be fine. He doesn't do that. He loves him too much to let him have his confidence in his, in his religiosity. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, unless you're born of the water and of the spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So what does Jesus mean here when he says you need to be born of the water and the spirit? Some people would make the mistake, they would say that it's, it's water baptism. That's not what Jesus means here. Water baptism does not save you. As I said before, it's symbolic of what God has already done in you. Jesus is not talking about water of physical birth. What Jesus is doing here is he's referring to an Old Testament passage from the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 36. Now let me just give you a little background here. Israel is God's covenant people, but they kept backsliding. And they kept turning to idols. And they kept turning to the gods and the lands around them. And God sets his covenant. He loves them. He wants them to be their people. But they keep turning their back on him. This prophecy by, by Ezekiel gives a coming time when God says, I'm going to do this thing for you that you can't do for yourself. I want to change you from the inside out. And listen to this prophecy. I love this. Ezekiel says, through, through, through God and, and God speaking this to, to, to his people and speaking it today. Listen to what it says. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27. It says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender responsive heart and I will put my spirit in you and you will follow my decrees 
and be careful to obey my obligations. Look at the order. God doesn't first say, hey, follow my decrees and follow my regulations and then I'll give you a nice tender heart to serve me. No, what does he say? I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to tenderize your heart because if God has a tender heart, he has your whole life. A hardened, stubborn heart will not obey God's regulations or decrees. Listen, my prayer for my kids my prayer for myself is that God would keep my heart tender before him, that he would have access to every single room in my heart. Listen, we all have rooms and compartments in our hearts, right? And, and our, just like our, our houses, upstairs, where everybody walks in and sees, we want to keep that clean. But then there's the basement, right? That's where you throw everything down. You don't know what's living down there. We've got food from three years ago probably down there. We don't know what's going on down there, right? You're just like, just put things down in, in the basement. And I think we do that in our spiritual lives. God, you can have access to the front door through the foyer where it's nice and everybody sees in there and say, oh, your house is so beautiful. Well, just look at the basement, right? See, God says, no. I want access to the basement. I want access to the attic. Give me access there. And what we tend to do is compartmentalize our lives. We say, God, I don't want to give you access there, but if we're going to have a tender heart, we've got to allow God in the basement. We've got to allow God to have access to our complete heart. And if you can have a tender heart where you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, because that's why if, if we rely on a religion or a religiosity, we're not going to hear the voice of God because we're going to rely on our works and what we think is right. But if God can have access to us by, by having a tender heart before him, then we're going to actually listen to him. And he's going to speak to us. And he'll speak to you in the small areas of your life. And you're not going to have your confidence in what you've done or not done. You're going to listen to the Lord. And that's why Jesus says, you need to have my spirit within you. You need to have the Holy Spirit within you so that I can have access to every part of your life. And if you keep humble and tender before the Lord, God will speak to you. And when you read God's word and you study God's word, it doesn't come from trying to be more religious and trying to gain access to God by, through my performance. When God gives you his Holy Spirit, through a born-again relationship, what happens? He tenderizes your heart. He makes you sensitive to him. So when you read God's word, you're going to want to obey what God says because God first changed your heart. And when he changes your heart, he changes everything else about your life. So when you begin to read God's word, God will speak to you. He will show you areas in your life that need to change. But you can't be there unless your heart is changed, unless he has full access to every part of your life. And so what the water here, in, in, in this word of Ezekiel, the water here is symbolic of the Spirit. And so the background of Ezekiel 36 is the Spirit is like water in a desert. Water is life in the desert. You can't live without water. You can't live without water in the desert or you'll, you'll, you'll die. And I want you to notice the words here. The words are, who does the cleaning? Who puts a new Spirit within you? Who makes your heart soft? God does all of that for you. He's the one that does it for you. The Apostle Paul has these same thoughts in Titus 3.5 where he says, he saved, he saved us not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. God could have easily given up on Israel and said, I'm done. But what does he do? Mercy, mercy, I'm going to do something. I'm going to cleanse you of your filth. I'm going to put a new spirit within you. I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. 
all by his mercy. Paul goes on to say, and he washes away our sins, giving us a new birth. New birth. There's the word, born again, born of above, a new life. Through what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does the change in your heart, in your life, not you through some type of religious activity or religious pursuit. How do I know that I'm born again? That's the big question, right? So how do I know, Pastor, what, what, does, it, what does it look like? Like one moment I'm like this, next moment I'm like, hey, I'm born again. What's up, right? Just start witnessing everybody around me. Um, it might be that way for you, right? It might, it might, good for you. If it is, more power to you, right? How does it look like? I want you to understand that there's a change in your heart and your mind. Something happens in me that causes my apathy to turn to enlightenment. It, it's, it's like someone hit the switch and the lights came on. And I, and I love just talking with some of you who maybe started attending Living Word and you just kept coming and coming. You're like, okay, I'm going to keep coming. I'm not sure about all this stuff, but I want to keep coming. And I love after sitting under God's Word, it's like all of a sudden it's like it makes sense. It just like makes sense to you. I love hearing um, those stories of how you kept pursuing God and, and how God just one day the light switch went on in your life. Maybe you grew up in church. You, you knew about God. You heard all the stories about God. And then all of a sudden you realized how he really loved you and it became personal to you. I had someone a couple months ago just come up to me and say, Pastor Barton, you know, I, I grew up in church and you know, just religiously went to church and so on and so forth. But, you know, I, I just appreciate living words so much. Really encouraged me and, and, and just basically told me in so many words, thank you for showing me how much Jesus really loves me. I'm not just trying to pursue God through our works, but knowing that Jesus really loves me and how God was working in their heart. St. Augustine was an early church leader, and he said this, and it really makes a lot of sense to me. He says, um, when you know that God changes you from above, when there's a change from above, when he places your Holy Spirit in you, one of the key marks to a changed life in, in Christ is that your heart's loves are being reordered. I like that. I think what Augustine means by that is like, you know, you know people, when someone describes you, they normally describe you by what you love or what you love to do, right? Oh, that person, oh, they love to do this or they love to do that or they, they're into this, whatever. And what I love about Augustine's quote here is that God, what he does is when he comes into our life and he fills us with his, his Holy Spirit, he reorders our love. All of a sudden, I was in love with what I love to do taking care of myself, right? Because that's what we want to do. And all of a sudden, when we understand the love of God, the love of Christ, that he came to give his life for us, that he bore our sins on the cross for us, all of a sudden my love's change. All of a sudden I have more ap apathy. I have more compassion. There's a love for people. Only the spirit of God can do that in your heart. All of a sudden there's this love for souls and wanting people to know Christ and what he has done for them. He reorders your loves. He reorders your priorities. The things that you used to be consumed with, not that those things necessarily were bad in themselves, but all of a sudden they're not that big of a deal anymore. All of a sudden when you fall in love with Christ and you understand what he did for you, your life and your priorities begin to shift and to begin to change. Your pursuits that maybe you 
you know, full anchor, like I'm going to do all these things, and, and all of a sudden you do them, and then you, you pursue them, and then they're like, okay, what's next? I got to go on to the next thing. I got to go on to the next thing. But when there's a love for Christ and he fills you with the spirit, the priors of your life begin to change. You begin to see the world through a different set of lenses, don't you? Your identity begins to change. Your identity is not in what you do. Your identity is in who you are in Christ now. I'll tell you what, when that changes for you, no matter what you may go through in life, no matter how life may, you know, just throw a curveball at you, when your identity is in Christ and your priorities change, those things won't shipwreck you. They won't because your identity is not in that thing. It's in what Christ has done for you and how his Holy Spirit is in you. It it amazes me um, just how differently we come into the family of God. We, We come into God's kingdom. Some of you, it may have come through maybe a tragedy or maybe a series of bad life choices and you just said, I need God, and you reached out to him, and he saved you. Um, maybe for some of you, it was gradual over time. It just, a little bit by little bit, it just began to make sense. Like C.S. Lewis, he came into the kingdom of God kicking and screaming because he was trying to look at the evidence, and the evidence was so overwhelming for who Jesus was and him being Lord and him being God. He's like, I give in, God. I'm, I'm tapped out. I'm not going to fight you anymore. And so he came in kicking and, and, and screaming. Um, I, I love how... Uh, some of you just like one day it was just like this, this whole thing just made sense to me. It, it just made sense. You hear God's word. Maybe it was a neighbor. Maybe it was a family member. Someone shared the, the word of God with you and who Jesus is. And, and you said, that's what I want. It, for my dad, it was a coworker at, at Kodak. My dad saw his life change. And then on break one day, on lunch break, the guy said, do you want to come to know Jesus as your Savior? My dad goes, yeah, I do. And that guy prayed with my dad right there at Kodak during a break time. To, to ask Christ to become his Lord and Savior. You see, salvation comes to those who trust Christ and what he has already done for them. Think about it for a moment, moms. A newborn does nothing in their birth. It's all up to the mom. Amen, moms? Can, can I get an amen there? Right? And it's interesting how, how all our children come into this world and how each of the birth is kind of, of different. When they come in, our oldest son, Colby, just, he came out crying and just, he was colicky and just irritating and he still irritates us to this day. No, I'm just teasing. No. And then my middle son, Wesley, he came out and he just looked like a football player, had a little gut, like he'd wear a diaper, the gut would kind of hang over the diaper and just, you know. And then Lily, when she came out, um, the, the, our doctor, she said, um, would you like to cut the umbilical cord? So after I fainted and got back up and they restored me, I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to do that. So when she came out, the umbilical cord, I think if I'm right, Kathleen, three times around her neck, four times. Okay, the first row I said three, so it was four times. Blue, she was like an Oompa Loompa. I mean, it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't good. And so she comes out and the, when the doctor says, that's not good, you know, like, I'm holding my sister's going, what do you mean? That's not she goes, oh, we got to do something real quick. So now all of a sudden our hearts are so we're unwrapping, you know, obviously she's fine, but unwrapping the umbilical cord. It's interesting how they all come in the world differently. But, but here's the thing I want you to realize. We may come into the kingdom of God through different, different circumstances, but God does it all for us. It, it's God who does the work. Salvation is not you have to do these 10 things in order to come into the kingdom of God. And so for Jesus with his 
discussion with Nicodemus. He's like, Nicodemus, listen, all these other things you do, they're not bad with themselves. But that's not the way to get into God's kingdom. You have to be born from above. That's what, you know, it always frustrates me when I watch the movie Wizard of Oz because it's just a frustrating movie to watch. So it's like they never can get to Kansas. It's like, you know, it's like they do all this stuff. You've got to go to the wizard and, do, and, and come to find out all that stuff they never had to do. They just said, you yeah, know, I believe I get there. And okay, now you go back to Kansas. But they had to do all these things. And they finally get to the wizard. And the wizard, you know, and already they do. And then you've got to get to the broom of the wicked wizard of the West. And you've got to go on this whole other pursuit. And then the whole monkey thing. I mean, I still have nightmares over the flying monkeys. I mean, they're just satanic flying monkeys. So, you know, it's like... You know, so it's like another thing, another thing. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. That's not the way salvation works. We don't do the work of our salvation. Jesus has already done the work for you. He's already done it for you. And he wants to place his spirit within you. We are not, the, the thing we're to do when it comes to being part of the family of God and being born again is we are to rest in the work of Christ what he's already done. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done on the cross for me. And then we trust and we put our faith in him. We trust him, only him. He's the only way to God. We put our full leverage on Jesus because he is God. He is the son of God. And he took on our sins. He's the only one to ever do that. And then what it causes us to do, it causes us to repent and have a change of mind. So when I realize what Jesus has done for me and I realize what he accomplished for me, it humbles me. And all repentance is is a change of mind. It's all, it's, I used to think this way and I followed my own desires, my own pursuits, but now I understand what Jesus did for me. So I repent and I turn to him. See, what happened to Nicodemus? I love this story about Nicodemus because I think that conversation with Jesus changed Nicodemus's life. It changed his life. It was a hard conversation. It was a truthful conversation. But it's the truth. Listen, it's not your feelings. It's the truth of who Jesus is that will change your life. When all else goes wrong in my life, and I feel like life is not going the way I want to go, I rely on the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus says, Nicodemus, the truth is this. The truth is this. It's not subjective. It's not from in your inner fuzzy feelings. Because how many know that can go all over the place, right? The truth is Jesus is who he says he is, and you can trust my words. Well, what we know from Scripture is um, Nicodemus helped bury the body of Jesus that was usually reserved for only servants. And now Nicodemus is serving Jesus. Nicodemus was changed and became a servant of Jesus. So my question for you today is we just just close things up today. My question for you today is, is a couple things. Number one, where are you today in your pursuit of God? Have you tried to pursue it yourself? Are you relying on past works or how you were raised in Christianity or your church or your own moral pursuits or your own performance, you got to put those things aside to come to Jesus. Just come to him. You trust his work 
and allow God to change you from above and he will place his Holy Spirit within you and he will re, as Augustine said, he will reorder your loves. And he'll change you. See, the thing for me as a 16-year-old, I, I can't explain to you what really happened. All I can say is I, I just relate to the blind man when he was healed by Jesus and then he got interrogated by the Pharisees and the blind man's like, listen, I don't know what to tell you. All I can tell you was Jesus he healed me. I was blind. I can see. So if you've got an issue, go take it up with Jesus. I don't know what to tell you. And that's all I can tell you is like I was blind and now I could see. And it, I could only attribute it to Jesus. And what, what God does is when you trust him, he places his spirit within you and then he gives you that desire to want to serve him, to want to please him, to do his will, to live a holy life that he desires us to live. Not, not that I'm trying to pursue or gain greater access to his love. That's not, that's not the purpose of Christianity. See, the purpose is Jesus has come to reorder your loves, to completely change your life and give you a whole new desire. That doesn't mean life is going to be easy once again, but he changes all of it. And then I have a desire because I understand what Jesus did for me and I understand the penalty and the price he paid for my salvation and for my sin. And that makes me want to serve him out of gratitude. And so now I have a desire to want to read his word, to read the word of God, to follow his will. And when I make a mistake, I know he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. He's not going to cast me out. He's not going to reject me. He's going to say, Barden, come to me and experience my grace all over again. So for those of you that are pursuing that, I would invite you into that relationship with Jesus. Are you born from above? And the second thing is this, just before we pray, some of you here today, you may say, Pastor, I made a decision to follow Jesus years ago. But I, I'll be honest with you, I've kind of grown cold. David prayed this in Psalm 51 after his his, his affair with Bathsheba and the prophet Nathan just confronted him on it. And this is his conversation with God. He said, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. What you've given to me, restore to me. And you might be here today and you said, Pastor, I have lost that joy of my salvation. I want to pray for you that God would restore that joy of what he first did in you, whether it was a month ago, two years ago, or like me back in 1982, that God would restore the joy of your salvation and give you that a passion and a desire to serve him wholeheartedly again, that he would restore those things. And I don't know what's gotten in the way, maybe just life, maybe just suffering, maybe just stuff that has happened that's beyond your control. I don't know what gets in the way of those things, but I pray that he would restore that joy of your salvation again to your heart and life and give you a new desire to serve him wholeheartedly. So Father God, as we just bow before you today, we want to thank you for the truth, Jesus, that you brought to Nicodemus. Lord, I pray today for anyone that's here today that has not made that decision to follow you, Lord. I pray that they would realize that it can only come from you, that they would just trust you, put their faith in you alone. And I thank you that you are faithful to fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we are now adopted children 
of God, not by anything we've done, but through the completed work of Jesus Christ. So we put our hope and our faith in you and you alone. And I pray that you would give those who call upon you that security and that confidence that they are children of God, that they are part of your kingdom when we rely completely on the work of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today that is just maybe have lost just their passion and their joy for you and serving you and their salvation, God. Lord, I pray that just as David prayed that you would restore, maybe it was because of bad decisions, maybe it was just life, whatever it might be that has gotten in the way of serving you or loving you. Lord, I pray that you would restore the joy of our salvation to serve you once again. We love you. We thank you for your word today. And we ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Can we thank the Lord today for his word and what Jesus has done for us? Amen. God bless you.